Mother's Day show here at Progressive News Network on Blog Talk Radio. Just a reminder, uh, I'm your host and producer, Janine Moloff. This show is a combined show, though we do alternate from week to week uh, at different times. It is actually PNN, which is Progressive News Network, and its companion show, EJR, which is the Environmental Justice Report. Now, I realize it's Mother's Day, so happy Mother's Day to everyone who is a mother. And to those of us like myself who either lost our mothers to illness, whatever, or and or have never been mothers, I want to wish all of you a happy day as well because there's this unsaid thing where basically if you're a female and you didn't reproduce, it's almost as if, like myself, we don't count. So I want to wish everybody else just a happy day as well. And I want to remind everybody that Mother's Day was actually not what you think it is. It was actually created by a woman named Julia Ward Howe. And it was, I believe, shortly after the Civil War. And the idea was, the whole idea of Mother's Day was an anti-war statement, period. It was not about, let's do brunch, the way it's been trivialized today. So these were mothers and women that basically were tired of seeing their grown children sent off to be uh, disabled, handicapped, or, you know, for lack of a better term, are killed in war. So the original Mother's Day, the real Mother's Day, was an anti-war statement. It was not what Hallmark and the Restaurant Association everybody else has turned it into. There, that's my soapbox for today. So right now, if you saw our advert, uh, for those of you that aren't doing brunch, you know, once again, Mother's Day rings hollow for someone like me. Uh, I lost my mother. She died in 1996 when I was in my mid-30s. And she died because of our garbage for-profit health care system. And one of the stories today deals with that. And one of the reasons why health care is so extraordinarily in, uh, expensive here in the United States and why it's becoming worse all the time. And that is because, as opposed to doing what makes sense, what every civilized nation has done in the world that has the money, they have some form of health care for everybody. We call it Medicare. But politicians from both parties, Republican and Democrat, refuse to push for Medicare for all. I thought that you would really like to know why your health care bill, why any uh, expenses you have to pay out for health care received are so unbelievably expensive. And part of that is because the issue of medical debt involves the world of, guess what, private equity firms. And, yes, I do have documentation. In fact, that's our, that's third, our third story, actually. Uh, and when you're talking about private equity firms, you cannot uh, exclude the role that, you know, big banks have as well. It has nothing to do with health care or the actual cost of health care. So our first story, however, we're going to backtrack a little bit, speaks to the lies about the national debt and possible solutions from constitutional scholars. You know, right now, the Republicans in the House under Speaker McCarthy are threatening to default 
uh, threatening to have the United States default on their national debt, which has economic ramifications for us all. It's an insane move uh, if they don't get extreme cuts in programs that benefit not only the very poor, but benefit what we used to call middle class. So that's the first story. And it actually deals with a couple of solutions, things that you would not hear on CNN. And when I, even when I mentioned CNN today, I feel like, phew, you know, crap on CNN. After they ran, and I guess I'm ranting a little bit right now, after CNN CEO Chris Licht had the gall to give Donald Trump a full, what was it, an hour or an hour and ten minutes where he could tell all the lies he wanted to, and the little Barbie sitting next to him, she didn't, cha- she barely challenged him on any of the lies that spouted forth from that obnoxious mouth of his. Okay, and then they had Anderson Cooper come on later and and chastise the audience because uh, apparently if you disagree with CNN giving free airtime to a neo-Nazi like Donald Trump, then, well, you know, you're just living in that, that silo and you need to grow up. Nah, nah. Anderson Cooper needs to just get out of the news business because it's clear he sold his soul. Okay? And if Anderson Cooper thinks that his wealth, you know, being the child of a Vanderbilt, if he thinks that's going to insulate him as a gay man from Christian nationalists, he's out of his freaking mind. All right? So that's, I got a little off. So let me go back here a little bit. So this week, this Mother's Day, the first story is going to be, again, lies about the national debt and possible solutions from constitutional scholars. That's number one. The second story is going to deal with lies sponsored by the gun lobby discussed in context of the latest shooting this past week. Actually, I think there's been another one. It's hard to keep track. And then the final story will deal, as I said at the beginning of the show, with lies told by politicians about our horrible health care system. Politicians of both parties refuse to consider Medicare for all, as that would anger their donors, you know, the people who bribe them legally. Additionally, the issue of medical debt involves the world, as I said a few minutes ago, of guess what? Private equity firms. And then, of course, we will have our Jackass of the Week Award. Now, before we get started, I want to mention anyone. We had a few callers last week that finally gave up. This isn't that kind of show. You know, I do the podcast. I publish articles. I used to publish on HuffPost before it was sold. Now I'm a a, um, regular contributor to Nation of Change and Eurasia Review. And frankly, you know what? I, I ignore the commenters. And I'm, I mean, I'm going to tell you why. You know, I have a few friends that are ex-friends that used to love doing that. And the fact is this. It's easy to be an armchair quarterback. It just is. And it frankly irritates me. You know, the commenters, they want to, I guess in theater, the term is called upstaging where they want to take attention from the person who's, you know, actually doing the show. And they want to do so without any real, in, in, in when it comes to news, any real documentation or anything else. You know what? On top of which, when they call and try and, you know, uh, monopolize the time, they're being freeloaders because they're not paying for this time. We are. And I won't tolerate it. If I decide to take questions, it's not until the last 15 minutes of the show. That's it. OK, 
okay? So a lot of work goes into, a lot of documentation goes into producing the show. And honestly, you know what? I don't need to hear comments from the peanut gallery, nor do I care. Okay, that's how I feel. You know, that may be counterintuitive, but frankly, you know, if you, if you want to comment, then do the hard work of actually putting together the story. All righty, so our first story. This is about the debt, lies about the debt ceiling. If you notice, there's a common theme throughout all of this. Um, most of the lies are coming from the Republican Party, but some are coming from corporate Democrats as well. Make no mistake about it. So the first story here, I found the source in Common Dreams, and uh, this, the headline is, Biden can absolutely invoke the 14th Amendment over debt ceiling, says Raskin, Congressman Jamie Raskin, that is. It's written by Jessica Corbett, and it was published May 8th. Now, let's back up a little bit about the whole debt ceiling stuff. Basically, what happened was in 1917, you know, or I think it was a little after, um, it was really inconvenient for Congress to have to keep going back and asking for more money to fund the wars. So they created this debt ceiling law, all right? And they can, you know, they can basically take loans up as much money as they need to up to the ceiling. If they go, if they reach the ceiling and they need more money, they have to go back and ask, and Congress has to approve more by raising the debt ceiling. Um, now, there's nothing in the Constitution that speaks to the debt ceiling. It's amazing how Kevin McCarthy and all these so-called originalists never quite, you know, figure that one out, or they don't want to. But going back to this article here, so Raskin, James, Congressman Jamie Raskin is an actual constitutional scholar, all right? In fact, Raskin was, um, when he was in law school, he was a student of renowned constitutional scholar at Harvard University and Professor Emeritus at Harvard University, Lawrence Tribe. And uh, Professor Tribe's previous students not only include Congressman Jamie Raskin, as, but also include President Barack Obama, U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland, and Supreme Court Justices John Roberts, oh, that's funny, and Elena Kagan. So Tribe knows presumably what he's talking about. So Raskin points out the fact that Section 4 of the 14th Amendment says the following word for word, quote, the validity of the public debt of the United States authorized by law shall not be questioned, period. That statement is saying that the debts that the United States government has already incurred must be paid, period. No exceptions. This is really important because it speaks to what this country can and can't do. So, Let's look at this. They don't, according to Raskin, Jamie Raskin, they don't have to allow a moron like Speaker McCarthy to, quote, hostage take with unilateral action. All right? They, they don't have to allow McCarthy to take hostages in this debt ceiling crisis. The fact is, you know, President can just stop this immediately. Now, I, I know that I've read that Biden is considering this, 
but he needs to do more than just consider. So Jamie Raskin is a constitutional scholar. He is also congressman. And this was last Sunday. He, you know, affirmed that, you know, if the Republicans won't raise the debt ceiling without major spending cuts, all President Biden has to do is invoke the 14th Amendment. All right. And that and therefore to keep borrowing and avoid a catastrophic first ever U.S. default. And this is, again, according to Section 4 of the 14th Amendment, which says in part, okay, this is as documented by Constitution.Congress.gov, quote, the validity, I'm sorry, quote, the validity of the public debt of the United States authorized by law shall not be questioned, end quote. Now, Raskin was interviewed by MSNBC's Jen Psaki, who was Biden's former press secretary, and, um, you know, Raskin said, quote, I think he, in other words, the president, has that authority under these circumstances. So let me back up a little bit here. Saki asked um, Raskin if that part of the 14th Amendment can be used to avoid a default by, you know, the Republicans holding not just the U.S. economy, but the global economy hostage. Raskin said the following, quote, I think he has that authority under these circumstances, absolutely, because the Congress has put him in a constitutionally untenable position. It goes on to say, quote, if he decides to default for the country, he's violating the Constitution because the 14th Amendment says you can't do that, end quote. So it's right there. Okay. Now, Raskin also pointed to a New York Times opinion piece, again, by Harvard University Professor Emeritus Lawrence Tribe, well-known and renowned constitutional scholar. All right. And Tribe was quoted saying the following from this opinion piece that, uh, you know, ran in the New York Times. Quote, to quote Tribe, quote, the question isn't whether the president can tear up the debt limit statute to ensure that the Treasury Department can continue paying bills submitted by veterans' hospitals or military contractors or even pension funds that purchase government bonds. The question isn't whether the president can, in effect, become a one-person Supreme Court striking down laws passed by Congress. The right question is whether Congress, after passing the spending bills that created these debts in the first place, can invoke an arbitrary dollar limit to force the president and his administration to do its bidding. There is only one right answer to that question, and it is no. And if there is only one person with the power to give Congress that answer, the President of the United States. As a practical matter, what that means is this. Mr. Biden must tell Congress in no uncertain terms and as soon as possible before it's too late to avert a financial crisis that the United States will pay all its bills as they come due, even if the Treasury Department must borrow more than Congress has said it can. End quote. It's right there. Now, Ro Khanna, who is another Democratic representative from California, tweeted on last Monday, quote, the Constitution has the constitutional, I'm sorry, let me do it again, quote, the Treasury has the constitutional obligation to pay our debts and spend the money Congress has already directed it to do. It really is that straightforward. Okay. Now, Biden did acknowledge that he 
was not yet ready to invoke that part of the 14th Amendment. Okay. Now, on ABC's, um, what was it, the week on Sunday with George Stephanopoulos, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen was asked if this was a possibility by Stephanopoulos, and she wouldn't say directly. Um, she just said that, quote, our priority is to make sure that Congress does its job. She went on to say, quote, there is no way to protect our financial system and our economy other than Congress doing its job and raising the debt ceiling and enabling us to pay our bills, and we should not get to the point where we need to consider whether the president can go on issuing debt. This would be a constitutional crisis, end quote. I, actually, I disagree with Janet Yellen. Okay. It could be a constitutional crisis, but the president would be well within his, his rights to invoke that part of the 14th Amendment. Okay. Now, what do the Republicans want? The McCarthy plan, again, led by Kevin McCarthy, who is not a constitutional scholar, who is frankly, in my opinion, an idiot. That's another, that's my opinion. Um, House Republicans last month passed their, uh, their bill they called, quote, Limit, Save, Grow Act. Yeah, right. It would, this plan would raise the debt ceiling by $1.5 trillion, with a T, or until March 31st, 2024, whichever comes first. Okay? That part of it doesn't sound bad. This is as documented by uh, another common, well, as documented by another Common Dreams uh, article. But McCarthy's plan would also demand and impose dramatic cuts, and those cuts would substantially hurt lower-income households, okay? Um, Now, House Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries, who's a Democrat, said he and some other Democrats are working on what they call a discharge petition, as documented by Vox.com. And what they want to do is force a vote on what they call a clean bill, raising the debt limit. But they have to have five Republicans on board in order to pass it, which is probably not going to happen. Okay. Um, You know, we've come through this before. And what the Republicans want are draconian cuts. They want cuts to spending on veterans' benefits. Keep in mind, Mr. McCarthy never served. Okay. A lot of these Republicans never served. Marjorie Taylor Greene didn't serve. But they want to cut veterans' benefits. They want to cut, most likely cut Social Security and Medicare. Um, this, and keep in mind, if the Republicans were really so concerned about debt, there's another thing they could do. Tax the rich. Tax the rich. Make it truly a, a um, you know, a graduated tax. Keep in mind, what built the great middle class in this nation on through the 1960s and 70s was a tax structure where, yeah, the richest of the rich, people like Jeff Bezos would pay, yes, 90% tax. They'll never miss it. They'll still be richer than God. All right? Make no mistake about it. And it would go down accordingly. Because let's face facts, you know, Bernie, Senator Bernie Sanders said it recently on another um, on another show where he said there shouldn't be any billionaires. 
and I agree with him. I absolutely agree with him. The ultra-rich pose a danger to the globe. They pose a danger to all of us because they have too much power. The ultra-rich, the Jeff Bezos, the Elon Musk, um, all these people, they are they are as dangerous to people in the globe now as the old monarchs of the 17th and 18th centuries were. Make no mistake about it. They have become an aristocracy of money as opposed to bloodlines. And they're dangerous. And I don't care how much money they give to charity. You know, as Dr. King pointed out, I'm just going to paraphrase, what good is it if the rich give to charity when they were the ones that caused the, cre- caused the conditions in the first place that created the need for the charity? This is about financial fairness. So I don't know what's going to really happen here. It, it's right here. There's another solution um, besides invoking the 14th Amendment. This one's a cute idea. Uh, and this is this documented by the Washington Post. The Treasury could mint a single platinum coin worth $1 trillion with a T. That's it. And if they did that, problem solved. Congress wouldn't even come into it. Now, that's something where we're going to get into another um, piece right now. There was an article written for the Washington Post. I believe that's what it was. hope my voice doesn't give out on me. Um, I've got, yes, the Washington Post. And I believe it was an op-ed. And this piece is written by um, Zachary D. Carter. Now, the headline for the op-ed says the following. The debt ceiling is an absurd problem. Only an absurd solution can save us. A platinum coin worth $1 trillion, with a T or more, would put an end to dangerous budget fights. See, right now, to those, the average person, when they hear the debt ceiling thing, and it becomes really confusing, the Republicans are demanding savage cuts to programs that they already pledged to, to fund people don't understand the national debt is debt that's already been been incurred in other words congress already authorized payment for these programs long time ago now the republicans come in and they want to default on the payment that would be like saying hmm you took out a, a loan for a luxury well, no, you took out a loan for a truck okay and let's say you have a, a landscaping business, so you really need the truck. And you sign off and you pledge, you know, you sign off that you're going to pay this debt in full. And then when you decide that, well, you know what, the wife wants a, you know, a little sports car, so I'm going to just default on my truck loan, you know, unless, of course, I demand that I get the bank to loan me the money for the sports car and not pay everything on the truck. That's what the Republicans are trying to pull. The national debt is debt that we already owe. Programs that Congress already authorized. It's not new money at all. It's basically the Republicans in Congress being um, trying to stiff everybody. Freeloader isn't quite the term. Um, 
It's the Republicans in Congress being deadbeats, refusing to pay the debt that they've already promised to pay. And the ramifications for not only the U.S. economy, but the global economy are dire. And they're throwing this little tantrum, McCarthy and his bunch, saying, you've got to let us just refuse to pay on these programs we already authorized. Okay, because we don't like because Republicans don't like the idea that people get Social Security. They don't like the idea that old folks get Medicare. They don't like the idea that veterans who risk their lives are going to get these benefits. And they don't like it because that means the very rich might have to pay a little bit of taxes. This is corruption at its finest. Make no mistake about it. So. The one thing is the 14th, Section 4 of the 14th Amendment essentially would allow um, the president to say, eh, we're paying it, okay, because the Constitution says we have to. The other part, and this would be one way to pay it, would be to allow Treasury, or not to allow, to authorize Treasury to mint a single platinum coin worth $1 trillion or more and problem solved. Now, Zachary Carter is also the author of a book called The Price of Peace, Money, Democracy, and the Life of John Maynard Keynes. Okay, Keynes is the economist that we used to follow when we had the great expansion that created the middle class. Okay? All right, so let's go on. So this is the third time in a decade that the U.S. government's threatening to, according to this article, quote, blow up the global financial system. Um, I'm going to read this first paragraph, actually. Quote, for the third time in a decade, the U.S. government is threatening to blow up the global financial system. There is no economic rationale for this threat, and its consummation promises no political advantage to anyone. It is a preposterous, silly, and breathtakingly dangerous situation. Fortunately, it can be resolved with a preposterous, silly, and perfectly painless legal trick, minting a single platinum coin with a face value of one trillion or more, end quote. Okay, I'm going to take a quick break here for a second and grab my water. Hopefully I can turn on this intro. Okay, I'm back. Sorry, folks. This, again, this is a live show, so sometimes, you know, when your throat gives out, it gives out. All right. I've got the volume turned up all the way, so hopefully you can hear me. So, you know, the Mr. Carter, the author of this piece, explains what this is what is really happening here. Right now, unless Congress or the Treasury Department acts or the President acts, the U.S. government will default on its prior accepted debt on October 18th. Keep in mind, the debt that the Republicans keep harping about is debt that we've already acquired are based on programs Congress and the president promised to pay. Make no mistake about it. 
It is not anything new. It's saying we're going to pay the bills we've had. You know, to refuse to do it would be like saying, well, I'm not going to pay my mortgage and, you know, the bank's not going to take my house. That, that's the delusional thinking. Now, <laughs> excuse me, <laughs> why this affects international finance is one of the ways that the U.S. Treasury actually does finance things, including the debt, is they issue treasury bonds, T-bills, okay? And U.S. Treasury bonds, according to Mr. Carter, are really what he calls, quote, a basic unit of international finance. And he goes on to say, quote, a default would immediately throw global investment into chaos. Mr. Carter goes on to say the following, quote, treasuries are formally deemed risk-free by bankers and bank regulators. They serve as an official benchmark of reliability for all other lending and investing public or private, and are used as collateral for loans all over the world. A default would force an immediate reevaluation uh, of a wide range of matters, including money market funds and the geopolitical status of China and the European Union. According to the number crunchers at Moody's, a U.S. government debt default would destroy 6 million American jobs and send the domestic unemployment rate to 9%, end quote. Okay. Now, he goes on to say the following, again, straight from Mr. Carter's article, quote, but even this valiant effort to quantify the potential damage understates the risk. It's simply impossible to predict how major investors and other governments would respond to the shock of a previously inconceivable event. We really don't know how severe or prolonged the damage could be, end quote. So, this is a very serious economic risk. Now, <clears throat> why did all this happen? As I said a few minutes ago, until we, this, our, okay, let me back up a little bit here. In 1917, the U.S. government passed a law that every time they wanted to raise money from investors, um, basically Congress simplified things. Uh, they deputized the Treasury Department to take care of the borrowing that would be required to meet war spending. Okay? Then Congress approved, quote, a formal limit on the amount of debt Treasury could sell, and that was imposed to prevent bureaucrats from running wild with their new responsibilities. Okay? Now, before 1917, we really were, were kind of captives and, and kind of victims of old European colonialism, because <clears throat> before World War One, the Bank of England basically controlled things for the global economy, and money was, you know, basically the, the standard of money was based on, you know, the gold standard. All right? And then 1917 hit, and Congress passed this, this uh, you know, this debt ceiling and it was to allow them it was going to allow treasury to meet war spending needs but then the limit on the, the debt ceiling itself was so that the bureaucrats bureaucrats wouldn't go crazy but the debt ceiling according to mr carter was not created to be a major instrument of economic policy now congress still retains power to set all spending and tax terms. 
but Congress has to vote every you know, has to vote periodically to raise the debt ceiling limit on Treasury's authority to borrow. Okay. Now, if Congress fails to do that, the government can't meet obligations obligations that they've already incurred. And why would they do that? Well, this is a convenient way, in my opinion, for the GOP, for the Republicans, to kill off programs they hate, like Social Security, Veterans Benefits, Medicare, by underfunding them. It's really like death by constant underfunding. That's what it's about. Now, there was a piece, I forget, was it USA Today where, and a few other papers that said Mitch McConnell on the Republican side in the Senate and Chuck Schumer on the Democratic side, they were saying, look, you know, we're not going to let the government default. It's not going to happen. Well, I'm glad that Mitch McConnell decided that this would be a bad thing, but, you know, Mitch McConnell can't be trusted because he's the guy who started this crap. And he started it a decade ago. Because at that point, he decided to take what had been a routine process, the debt ceiling, and making sure the government paid its bondholders. And McConnell decided to turn it into a political weapon against President Obama. Okay, so, you you know, it's fun to blame Kevin McCarthy because he's an idiot, but this started, this was Mitch McConnell's baby. So don't cut McConnell any, any credit at all. McConnell started this, and people have conveniently forgotten. But in 2011, the Republicans wanted to force President Obama to accept, uh, a, according to this quote, a slate of conservative legislative demands, um, and the party would vote to raise the debt ceiling, quote, but only if Obama agreed to a bunch of spending on, I'm sorry, but quote, but only if Obama agreed to cut a bunch of spending on programs for the poor, end quote. So McConnell started this. You know, and it's amazing if, if, you know, I'm a team of one. I have a colleague that, you know, helps sometimes. But the fact is, if I can find this, why can't these big newsrooms find this? Why are they giving Mitch McConnell credit that he doesn't deserve, making it sound like he's a voice of reason when he's not? He's the guy who engineered this nonsense in the first place. Because all these things that want to attack the administrative state, all these things that want to attack the debt and all of that, these are just Republican demands to cut every program that not only benefits the poor, but benefits the middle class. What little is left of the social safety net, they want to destroy. Make no mistake about it. So I want you to remember that, according to this article, it was Mitch McConnell who took the debt ceiling uh, issue, which had before that just been routine, because and it was routine because you have to the government has to pay its bondholders because that affects the U.S. economy as well as the global economy, and they he weaponized it. Okay, they're playing chicken with our economy. Remember the game chicken, you know, where you'd have some teenage boys that were total irresponsible jerks, and they would get in two different cars. And they would race, and they would see how far each one would go before they got to the edge of a cliff. 
and certain debt. Whoever got closer, they would win, and the guy who was further away was chicken. That's what they're doing. The Republicans under McConnell and McCarthy are playing chicken with our economy. They're playing chicken with the future of not only us, but our kids and our grandkids, and it's unacceptable. It represents criminal malfeasance on the part of the Republican Party. Okay? Now, the Republicans are trying to make this look like it's fiscal responsibility when it's the exact opposite. Again, the debt ceiling, the national debt is about paying debts we already owe. It's not new spending. It's basically protecting the credit rating of the United States. Wake up, people. You're being lied to a lot. And these Republicans, they're telling incredibly stupid lies on top of it all. Okay? Now, keep in mind, another thing the Republicans could do, again, as I said before, raise taxes on the rich. But, you know, they didn't do that. In fact, Trump cut taxes in 2017 on the rich. Okay? So, you know, once again, another thing that they, that this, uh, this writer, Mr. Carter, is, is telling you, quote, none of this debt, national debt, caused a financial crisis fueled hyperinflation or prevented us from responding to a major international public health crisis, as the doomsayers have argued, and that's as documented by CBS News as well as TheAtlantic.com. Okay? There's an article in The Atlantic um, where it explains how, no, the debt crisis did not fuel hyperinflation. Okay? Uh, According to Mr. Carter, this is a very powerful line. I'm just going to read it. Quote, The chief danger posed by the debt today lies in the possibility that the United States might just default for fun. End quote. In other words, Republican fun. Hyperinflation is a totally different thing. And let's face facts. Think for a minute. Nobody likes going to the grocery store right now. Things are just incredibly expensive beyond belief. The workers aren't getting paid that extra money. The consumers having to pay out more money. The only people that are making more money right now are the rich. So that the debt isn't causing hyperinflation. What's causing it is greed. The rich are squeezing us because they can. That's it. Okay. Now, McConnell got caught in his lies again. Okay. Um, He did you know, admit recently that the government's not going to default. Um, He was asked this past week why he thinks Democrats will find a way, straight from the article, to raise the debt ceiling without Republican votes in a 50-50 Senate. McConnell replied, quote, because we always do. And that's just documented by Yahoo.com. The fact is, McConnell's basically acknowledging this whole thing is a media stunt, because it is. Okay. Now, let's get back to the coin, that $1 trillion coin. House House Judiciary Committee Chairman Jerry Nadler, Democrat of New York, um, wants the Biden administration to mint a platinum coin. Now, this was – I will – let me acknowledge one thing. This piece was written in 2021, so the Democrats were still in charge, okay? But the the information still holds true. 
Okay, I remember reading about this. Um, the Treasury could mint this coin. Okay, they could. Um, you know, and this was something, the idea for the trillion dollar coin was actually a joke at first. It was popularized by a lawyer named Carlos Mucha, and that's his document by the New York Times.com. Um, and this was during the 2011 debt ceiling standoff, which, again, McConnell created this whole scam. And he came up with this. It was really meant as a joke, but it's actually kind of clever. Um, Trillion-dollar coin would not authorize additional spending. It would just allow the Department of Treasury to basically pay off the debts we owe. Okay? And actually, a single coin, it doesn't have to be a trillion. It could be a hundred trillion or one quadrillion. wouldn't matter. Okay. Uh, Congress, according to this quote, Congress could functionally eliminate the debt ceiling by holding a vote to raise the limit to, say, one quadrillion. But the political and practical hurdles for that vote would remain, and a one quadrillion dollar coin would be just as good. Um, this article goes on to say, quote, the debt ceiling was never designed to be a weapon of destruction, end quote. And it wouldn't be. None of this has to be happening, in other words. And yet, do you see CNN talking about this in realistic terms? No, you don't. Instead, they give 70 minutes to a neo-Nazi moron like Donald Trump. So that's what that's about. And I think it's a really interesting interesting take on it. Okay? All righty. A little more of my intro. Get ready for our next story. Okay, back to our program. So, you know, we've talked about the debt ceiling. All right, and, and again, none of this has to be happening. And what after all of this, the two thi- the three things I want to point out from the debt ceiling simply is this. Number one, the whole idea of coming down to a government showdown on the debt ceiling and possibly defaulting, the U.S. defaulting on the national debt, was a scam that was first engineered by Mitch McConnell. It can be solved because, again, several constitutional scholars have pointed to Section 4 of the 14th Amendment that clearly states we have to pay our bills. That's it. doesn't matter what McCarthy and the others do. And keep in mind, McConnell's letting McCarthy take the blame for this stupid plan, and he knows all along that he's the one that started it. And then number three, you... Treasury could mint a single trillion-dollar or quadrillion-dollar coin to pay its bills and cut the Republicans out of this whole thing altogether. So with all the lawyers that are in Congress right now that went to Ivy League schools, why is it that except for Jamie Raskin and a few others, none of them could come up with this idea? It's a rhetorical question. They know they don't want us to know. The corporate Democrats are being paid off, a.k.a. legally bribed, by the same billionaire bastards that bribe the Republicans, just maybe a bit less. And they don't want us to know that all of this could have been avoided. 
Okay. Let's move to story number two. Been a lot of shootings, you know, in this country. I mean, this is insane, right? And you have the NRA, National Rifle Association, saying that there should be no limits to gun ownership. Now, I want you to take a minute and think, all right? Because if you actually go to the NRA website, not just the website, but if you actually go to a speech that was given at CPAC, the conservative uh, uh, convention, uh, where the NRA head, Wayne LaPierre, gave this speech that it was practically out of Hitler's playbook. Okay, it's crystal clear that Wayne LaPierre, along with a lot of others at CPAC, are racist neo-Nazis, in my opinion. Okay, you read that article, you read his speech, and you'll see. And actually, we'll talk about it in another show because I downloaded the speech in its entirety. Um, make no mistake about it. When Republicans talk about gun rights through the NRA, they don't mean people like me or my friends to have guns. They want straight, white, Christian nationalists to have guns and unlimited gun rights so they can basically go hunting for the rest of us. This is the formation of a lynch mob, 21st century style, and nothing else. Make no mistake about it. When the Covenant School was attacked and it finally got out in Tennessee that the uh, shooter was trans, All of a sudden, all the Republicans are saying, well, trans people are mentally ill and they shouldn't get guns. When the shooter is a white Christian nationalist and straight, they're gun rights all the way. Make no mistake. You know, the inconsistency is is just palpable. So there was a piece in Common Dreams by Tom Hartman, who is a wonderful journalist, okay? And this is a piece that was published May 8th. And the headline is, The Real Right-Wing Death Squad is the Cowardly Republican Party, by Tom Hartman. And the subheadline is, quote, There is not one single legal rationale to keep weapons of war on the streets of America. If anything, doing so is antithetical to our Constitution and over 200 years of law, both state and federal. Okay, so I'm hoping we have enough time to get through all the stories today because, honestly... Um, it's a lot there. So this article, Hartman talks about Stephen Spainhower's son at first. And his son worked at one of the stores in Allen, Texas, which was uh, one of the most, more, one of the recent mass shooters. There's seven that weekend, actually. Seven shootings, yeah. That weekend. Good God. That week. Okay, let me back up, Liz says here, quote, Stephen Spainhower's son worked at one of the stores in the Allen, Texas shopping mall chosen by America's most recent mass shooter. As of Saturday, there were seven this weekend, end quote. Okay, and that's according to rawstory.com. So the shooter arrived at the mall. Um, I'm sorry, not the shooter. Spainhower's son, who was, you know, trying to save people, arrived at the mall after the neo-Nazi murderer had slaughtered several people. Um, he... Spainhower's son moved into the mall, and I want to I want to reiterate, Spainhower is the hero. He's not the shooter, okay? Um, he saw a five-year-old child, and Spainhower said, quote, the first girl I walked up to was crouched down, covering her head in the bushes, so I felt for a buck, for a pulse. Um, and then he said, 
he, he, adding that he then pulled her head to the side and she had no face. Okay. So Spainhauer, Stephen Spainhauer entered the mall after this neo-Nazi killer had gone on a rampage and he found a little girl and she was in the bushes. He felt for a pulse and then he, quote, pulled her head to the side and she had no face. A five-year-old child. This is what the NRA is saying is fine. I, I, I just got to stop for a minute there because that just, if that doesn't make you just cringe, then you're not human. Okay. This neo and and the guy was a neo-Nazi. He had a manifesto and everything. He shot the face off of a five-year-old child. And Spainhauer was trying to save whoever he could. Then Spainhauer found a dead woman who looked like she was laying across a young boy. Quote, when I rolled the mother over, he came out. Um, and this is Spainhauer telling CBS reporter J.D. Miles. Spainhauer went on to say, quote, I asked him if he was okay, and he said, my mom is hurt, my mom is hurt. Rather than traumatize him anymore, I pulled him around to the corner, sat him down, and he was covered from head to toe. Um, Spainhauer said that the child looked like, quote, like somebody poured blood on him, end quote. And it was his mother's blood. She was dead. Why? Because this white supremacist, um, neo-Nazi, decided to shoot up a Texas shopping center. He had a mass market version of the rifle the Army developed in the 60s. This was for hunting people in Vietnam. He he wore a right-wing death squad patch. Uh, as again, as documented by the TexasTribune.org, um, and that's a patch that's often worn by Proud Boys across his chest. Um, you know, you hear this this travesty, this this uh, I don't know what to call it. I mean, a child's face was blown off. This is an abomination. I I, I can't even process it so what was the response of republican politicians it's pretty shameful according to this article by tom hartman republican congressman keith self this is the guy this is the congressman who represents allen texas in the u.s house of representatives um and according to cbsnews.com he refused to say do anything about the slaughter All he said was, quote, our prayers are with the victims and their families and all law enforcement on the scene, end quote. So he's offering thoughts and prayers. Other Texas Republicans, one of the things Tom Hartman mentioned is not a single one of these Republican cowards even mentioned the word gun. Not a single one promised to do anything. Republican Governor Abbott tried to minimize this this abomination saying quote our hearts are with the people of allen texas tonight during this unspeakable tragedy end quote the lieutenant governor of texas who was also a republican named dan patrick said quote please join me in mourning the victims of this unspeakable tragedy in allen okay well once again the tragedy didn't have to happen it happened because this neo-nazi had a weapon of war. 
Then you have Republicans, the two Republican senators in the U.S. Senate. John Cornyn uh, ignored the AR-15 that really made this possible. That's the gun we're talking about. And, and according to CBSNews.com said, quote, I am grieving with the Allen community tonight, end quote. Ted Cruz, Republican senator, you know, said the following. Quote, Heidi and I are praying for the families of the victims of the horrific mall shooting in Allen, Texas. We pray also for the broader Collin County community that's in shock from this tragedy. Okay, what they don't, what CBS News and the others don't tell you is that both um, Republican Senator Ted Cruz, who's always kissing Trump's ass, is a big recipient of the NRA. He's one of the top recipients of campaign contributions from the NRA. Uh, One of the few recipients of money from the NRA that gets more money than Ted Cruz, Texas Senator John Cornyn, whose name you probably aren't familiar with because he likes to kind of keep in the background. Cornyn's a little sneak thief, okay? He stands there and looks very reasonable. He lets Cruz run his stupid mouth, and Cornyn collects the money. Cornyn is like, if not the top recipient of NRA money, he's like number two then, something like that. Okay? Now we have the Republican Attorney General of Texas, who's another Trumper. He's also, uh, according to usnews.com, an indicted bribe taker and uh, indicted for bribery and fraud, uh, Attorney General Ken Paxton. Um, And he made it sound like this slaughter was some sort of bizarre natural disaster, saying, quote, pray for Allen, Texas, pray for these families and law enforcement. And you know what? Basically... Tom Hartman says the following, quote, thoughts and prayers won't do a damn thing. It's true. In fact, Tom Hartman wrote the following, quote, thoughts and prayers won't do a damn thing. Coming from these mealy-mouthed Republicans, they don't even comfort the families. All they do is prepare Texas for the next massacre, end quote. Now, there's a singer-songwriter named Ricky Davila, who I'm not familiar with, but Davila tweeted the following, uh, Davila tweeted a list of Republican politicians and the money that they have taken, the legalized bribes they've taken from the NRA, and then added the following statement, quote, fuck their thoughts and prayers, end quote. I don't know about Ricky Davila before, but now I'm a fan. Now, this slaughter is not new. People have forgotten there was a time period, and I'm not just talking about the Wild West, but a time period in the cities where we had this type of, of, you know, war in the streets, you know, and there were people that were very similar to these mass shooters. And I'm going to read the names that Tom Hartman listed. Bonnie and Clyde, they gunned down civilians and cops. They went through the Midwest. They had a full automatic 30-06 fire from an M. 1980 Browning automatic rifles. They had semi-automatic shotguns and .45 ACP rounds from full auto M1911 handguns. He also had Machine Gun Kelly. Keep in mind, these are mobsters. Thompson Machine Gun. Kills as many people as possible, as fast as possible. You had John Dillinger, who made the Tommy Gun famous. Babyface Nelson. He had a fully automatic 45 pistol. Pretty Boy Floyd, 
had a weapon, was an automatic Colt pistol. Ma Barker. Okay? Um, she used an automatic handgun. Al Capone carried a 38 Smith & Wesson handgun because he let his gang do the really bloody work, and they had automatic rifles and shotguns. In other words, in the 1920s and 30s, these criminals had automatic weapons. Okay? And they used weapons developed for the battlefield. Period. This is not what the Constitution intended by the Second Amendment. The Second Amendment specifically says a well-regulated militia. So America got tired of blood in the streets nonstop. They just did. So in 1934, under FDR, a Democratic president, Congress passed and, and FDR signed off on the National Firearms Act. Now, before these NRA nuts start screaming, oh, you can't take our guns, the National Firearms Act didn't do that, or the NFA. The National Firearms Act, in fact, didn't outlaw a single gun. No. So how did it control things? The National Firearms Act, the NFA, put a tax on automatic weapons as well as sawed-off shotguns and a bunch of other weapons of war. And that's all it took. Okay, so none of the weapons that are listed on the NFA list that to be taxed are illegal, but they are controlled by a tax. Okay, now the writer of this article, Tom Hartman, a bleeding heart liberal, has said he's legally held and fired the same fully automatic Thompson machine gun like Machine Gun Kelly and John Dillinger used, among others. Tom Hartman went on to explain that there's a lot of gun rage gun ranges, and they offer rentals. So if you want to try target practice, you can do that. Hartman himself shot at a public gun range in Marietta, Georgia, back in the 1980s. Um, you know, so again, this, the NSA, what it does is you have to pay it. Well, it's more than just paying a tax. So in order to get these weapons of war under the NSA, which was passed in 1934. Uh, according to this quote, to be eligible to pay the tax, you must first acquire a federal firearms license. Okay? And end quote. So then the step one, is you have to fill out the application with the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives. And then you pay a fee. Now, the fee can range from $30 to $3,000. Just depends on the type of weapon, I suppose. Then you have to give the... Um, the Bureau of Alcohol, Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives, you have to provide a photo and then submit your fingerprints. Now, they check everything out. And if, you're che and if you pass the check, then you go for an in-person interview with an ATF industry operations investigator, and they vet you for ownership of a fully automatic machine gun or whatever. Now, there weren't any gun buyback programs in the 1930s, Okay. No one confiscated guns, nothing. But once everybody understood that, you know, it's illegal to sell or possess an automatic or sawed-off weapon of war, you have to get a tax, you have to get a license first and pay the tax, those guns just sort of disappeared. Okay? Now, how are people getting stuff now? Well, a lot of times they go to a gun show, and there's this gun show loophole, which is moronic. And if you buy a weapon of war from a private owner, there's no paper trail at all. It's as easy as buying a stick of gum. Now, that's the problem. So Hartman came up with a simple proposal. 
amend the National Firearms Act, quote, to include semi-automatic weapons along with the existing category of fully automatic weapons and sawed-off shotguns. Okay, end quote. It's really that simple. So it's, it's a matter of semantics. Right now, the NFA uh, regulates fully automatic weapons, but not semi-automatic weapons. Keep in mind, these semi-automatic weapons are just as dangerous. An AR-15 is a weapon of war. Okay? And, it's, and, and I don't want to hear the crap about, well, hunters use it. No, they don't. You'd be laughed – with real gamesmen, you'd be laughed out of the area because with AR-15-type weapon, it's really like a small bomb. And what it does is what's left of the animal isn't fit to harvest for meat, and you can't use it as a trophy. Okay? The, the fact is the semi-automatic weapons, including the AR-15 and similar type guns, they use high-velocity bullets. These are called cop killer bullets. High-velocity bullets enter a person's bullet size. The exit wound is the size, uh, a lot of times, of an orange. Seriously, it explodes. So that what used to be a gunshot wound that you could survive with regular bullets, an AR-15 or similar weapon doesn't actually have to hit a vital organ to kill you. It just blows a hole in you, so there's so much trauma, there's no way a trauma surgeon can fix you. And this information is coming straight from trauma surgeons. Nobody needs that. The only reason these jerks are carrying these is because they're going hunting for humans. The NRA is basically sanctioning lynch mobs, nothing else. Most semi-automatic weapons, according to this article, were developed for warfare. Okay? They're designed to kill as many people as quickly as possible. That's it. So amending the NFA to include semi-automatic weapons doesn't conflict with the Second Amendment at all. In fact, it doesn't even conflict with the recent Heller decision, which was a big mistake as well. It is legal. Okay? So this is an instance where if you go back and try and remember what the 70s and 80s were like, semi-automatic weapons were rare. You didn't see them on the streets that much. Okay? Cops carried revolvers. So did the crooks. And according to this article, quote, and mass shootings almost never happened, end quote. So why is the NRA pushing this? Well, the arms manufacturer, semi-automatic weapons are incredibly profitable for the manufacturer. And According to this, quote, they're the weapon of choice for mass and school shooters. Quote, most are designed specifically to hunt and kill human beings, which is why we shouldn't allow them to stay on our streets without restrictions. The amount of general civilian circulation, just as we did machine guns back in the day, end quote. It's really that simple. Now, one last thing I want to talk about is the seditionist traders. Besides the NRA, the groups, according to this article, calling for continuing this unregulated, this unregulated status for semi-automatic weapons of war are groups that are planning seditious warfare against the United States, the militia movement. Okay, we're talking Proud Boys. We're talking Adam Waffen. We're talking all these, the three percenters. These are the groups that want this. Okay, but... 
they don't really know what they're talking about, and the politicians know it too. The Constitution does not allow insurrection. It just doesn't. Yes, you can you can address your politicians for you can approach politicians for redress of public grievances. That part's true, but the Constitution has also many references for uh, for a government requirement to put down insurrections. Okay, in fact, every according to this article, quote, every one of the fifty states today explicitly outlaws unregulated civilian militias, either by Constitution or law or both. End quote. Okay. So, the Constitution in 1776 said that a, quote, that a well-regulated militia composed of the body of the people trained to arms is the proper natural and safe defense of a free state, that standing armies in time of peace should be avoided as dangerous to liberty, and that in all cases the military should be under strict subordination to and governed by the civil power, end quote. Okay. 48 of the 50 states have similar clauses in their state constitutions, which require any militia to subordinate themselves to civilian authorities. 29 states have specific laws outlawing private militias. And Missouri's one of them. 25 states, according to the Brennan Center for Justice, notes, quote, have laws that generally prohibit teaching, demonstrating, instructing, training, and practicing in the use of firearms, explosives, or techniques capable of causing injury or death for use during or in furtherance of a civil disorder, end quote. And those states, you know, there's a list. They include Arkansas, California, Colorado, Connecticut, Florida, Georgia, Idaho, Illinois, Louisiana, Michigan, Minnesota, Missouri, Montana, Nebraska, New Jersey, New Mexico, North Carolina, Oklahoma, Oregon, Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, South Carolina, Tennessee, Virginia, and Washington. Keep in mind, Missouri recently, I think they're trying to pass law, or they recently did pass law, to check on it, where they're saying they don't have to obey any federal gun laws. Okay? So, once again, the founders did not say that these idiots could bring weapons of war down on the streets and threaten people. They just didn't. Okay? So let me check our time here. We're running short. Mm. So there's more there. You can read it yourself. Okay. Okay, going to take a little break here. Getting ready for our next story. Okay, and we're back. Okay, so this third story is a little complicated. I'm going to try and shorten it a bit because I have a lot of information, not a lot of remaining time, believe it or not. So we're all disgusted with medical debt, okay? You've seen in the news where they talk about surprise bills, okay? Happened to me a couple of years ago. Um, Back in 19, I had... um, 
I had fallen and I had broken my wrist really badly. I mean, they had to reconstruct it. And I had checked everything. I'm fully insured. I checked everything with the insurance company, used somebody, you know, in the network and so on. Well, apparently they called in a couple of the people, including the anesthesiologist that was somebody else that wasn't in network. So I get this surprise bill that I knew nothing about. Okay. And I had to figure out how I was going to pay it. You know, keep in mind, I pay through the nose for my insurance. So this story is Medicare, really the need for Medicare for all versus obscene medical profiteering. Okay. Now, just recently, um, Representatives Ro Khanna, as well as Sep, uh, Senator Bernie Sanders, are pushing a new uh, fight for Medicare for All. Okay. And this article was written by Jessica Corbett for Common Dreams. It published May 8th. The headline is Freedom from Medical Debt Campaign to Launch with Virtual Town Hall. The new push is led by our, rev- our revolution along with, that's a group, uh, along with Representative Rokana and Senators Bernie Sanders, Medicare for All supporters who are working on legislation to tackle medical debt. I don't have a problem with somebody getting relatively rich. Let me just state that in the beginning. I have a problem when they do it um, by threatening people with, you know, you know, basically it's a bill or, you know, save your life or die. You know, as far as I'm concerned, health care is a human right. You know, if you want to get rich off of selling some sort of stupid designer handbag, I could care less. But not with health care. So there's some quotes here that I'm going to read to you. <clears throat> there's a story of uh, somebody named Dan McNeil, who's from Arizona. Uh McNeil is a patient advocate, also a member of the group called Our Revolution. This is a group that's working with Ro Khanna and Bernie Sanders, as well as the National Consumer Law Center and Aesthetic DC on a new campaign. McNeil had the following to say, quote, I'm 72 and now live with my daughter after losing everything because of medical bills. I had $250,000 saved up for retirement and then disaster hit several bouts of cancer and a stroke in 2009, end quote. Can you imagine? I mean, think about that for a minute. I know there's people that are fairly comfortable out there. They may not be um, wealthy at the level of, say, of Jeff Bezos or, you know, Elon Musk or Bill Gates, but they're well off. And, you know, they kind of go, well, that's just the way it is, except it isn't the way it is, all right? They could lose everything, too. This is evil, okay? And for somebody, for a regular worker to save up 250 grand over an entire lifetime, good Lord, you know, and just be wiped out just like that, that's evil. So um, the Freedom for Medical Debt Initiative launched, uh, I think it was Monday the 8th, with a virtual town hall. Uh, Mary Willis of Texas was quoted. She said, quote, I wouldn't owe anything if hospitals didn't gouge patients. The cost of an MRI in the hospital was eight times the cost of an outpatient MRI and 80 times outsourced MRIs. I owe over $8,000, end quote. See, that's another thing, too. You never know what you're going to be billed. You know, it's like going into the grocery store and there's a bag of oranges and the price is, let's say, 
$4.99. But then when you get to the checkout, it's like, oh, you got the wrong bag. That one is $200.99. It's crazy. So the town hall uh, featured similar stories, uh, including a story of a woman named Kristen Noreen from Washington, the state of Washington. She barely survived after she was hit by a vehicle on her bicycle in 2010. She endured a brain injury from that accident. She had to have her hand amputated and reattached. She's still paying off medical bills and, pay, and, and paying off uh, for pain treatments that aren't covered by her insurance. Okay? You've got another patient advocate, a woman named Elizabeth McLaughlin of Indiana. She received a $20,000 bill for a single emergency visit in 2015. What the F is going on? Okay. So Ro Khanna was uh, quoted here. He said, quote, we need to strategize for legislation Bernie Sanders and I are doing and figure out how we finally end medical debt in this country, end quote. Now, Kana and Sanders have worked together apparently for many years. Keep in mind, those of you that love Barack Obama, Obama fought Medicare for all. He pulled every dirty trick in the book to make sure it never happened. Just remember that. You know, while President Obama and his family never should have had to endure the racism racism that they endured. That was shameful. Don't make Barack Obama into this saint because he wasn't. He blocked Medicare for all. The only reason Obamacare is half as good as it is is because people like me and Bernie Sanders, we fought to make it better. It wasn't going to be as good. The original Obamacare was not going to cover pre-existing injuries, pre-existing conditions. The original, Medi- the original Obamacare wasn't going to have subsidies, gift to the insurance companies. So let, let's tell the whole truth here. And in the meanwhile, Bernie was laughed out of the room. Bernie's consistently fought for us. Okay, so, you know, another ally, Representative Pramila Jayapal from Washington, They're, quote, preparing to reintroduce Medicare for all in Congress. Um, We are organizing people struggling with medical debt to speak up and fight for health care justice. Okay. Patient advocates are trying to pressure Joe Biden to, quote, use executive action to help stop price gouging for vulnerable patients and a variety of predatory debt collection tactics and ensure that people seeking medical assistance have financial aid and free or reduced price care available, end quote. Um, They go on to highlight the fact that, and keep this in mind, quote, medical debt is the number one reason for personal bankruptcies in the United States. I'm going to say that one again. Quote, medical debt, in other words, trying to save your life or life of a loved one, is the number one reason for personal bankruptcies in the United States, end quote. And it shouldn't be. It absolutely should not be. Now, the executive director of the group Our Revolution is a man named Joseph Giverhisi. I cannot pronounce his name. I apologize. He said, quote, we can stop that, and the president has the power. 
Okay, the campaign is, quote, calling for Congress and the president to deliver systemic solutions to this massive health care injustice, end quote. And it is health care injustice. But there's a reason why medical debt is being allowed to stay. And it involves, guess what, private equity and big banks. Nothing else. So until – I don't know what – I don't think that – just a push in Congress is going to do it because they're going to challenge it in the courts. We have to have a series of national strikes where everything except most important emergency services comes to a grinding halt and we help each other until we have a national health care program that makes sense. Nobody should have to go bankrupt paying medical debt. You know, and, and don't chastise you know, people that have a lot of insurance and also have a lot of money just go well your insurance will pay for it Nuh-uh. you know what I'm fully insured I kept the insurance I had from my previous employer when I retired I'm too young for Medicare so I pay to hold on to medical dental and vision practically $700 a month that comes off the top of my retirement check and even when I really needed to use it, there was a lot it didn't pay. I mean, to expect somebody who, you know, maybe is living, whose annual income is maybe, let's say, 40000 a year, to pay 700 a month for insurance and then still have thousands of dollars of medical debt at the very least, that's totally impossible. Okay? And And this is, you know, this is the problem here. Um, you know, a lot a lot of patients do not realize that a lot of medical practices are not owned by the doctors. They're actually owned by private equity firms. Every layer of investment like that costs us more. So here's the possible reason why DC refuses to budge on this and its private equity profits while Granny is relegated to deathbed bankruptcy. Now, the source for this article is the Private Equity Stakeholder Project. Uh, and throughout this article, it's just listed as, by its acronym, PESP. That's weird. So the article is, it's on a blog, and the headline, it was written August of 21, 2021, How Private Equity Profits from Aggressive Medical Debt Collection. We're not going to have time to go through all this. I'm just going to go through the high points because... At most, we only have 40 minutes left, and I've got a lot of information. So there's no secret here. We have a for-profit healthcare system, which totally sucks. It just does. It's great for the rich. They can pretty much get anything, but it craps on the rest of us. And, you know, we've been sold this bill of goods, this this nonsense that if we go to a national health care Whatever, the doctors will abandon medicine and they won't be paid. And it's pure nonsense. Okay? It works in France. It works in a lot of other countries. Okay? I am fine with doctors being affluent. They deserve it. But they don't need to be multimillionaires. Okay? So medical debt really destroys so many things. All right? Um and often when patients have medical debt, which is impossible to avoid, I had medical debt just from that one operation. Okay, I had to go under full anesthesia, 
you know, because when you slice open a wrist, let's face it, there's a big artery there, and you could just bleed out, all right? But even being fully insured, and I pay through the nose, I still had a, you know, a bill that was difficult for me to pay back. And the part of the problem is the medical debt collectors are also known as get by acute statement, acute acronym, RCM, or Revenue Cycle Management Companies. And some of these RCM companies use harassment and other aggressive collection tactics, which anywhere else is considered illegal. Um, there are a few RCM companies that are some of the worst. Private equity firms such as Platinum Equity, Clear Lake Capital Group, and Next Phase Capital, they own some of the RCM companies. I'm reading straight from this quote with the highest numbers of complaints raising questions about whether there is a link between private equity-owned RCM companies, use of aggressive debt collection practices, and private equity firms focus on returns, end quote. So what is revenue cycle management? I mean, if if they're collecting for medical debt, why do they have to call themselves revenue cycle management? You know, that kind of makes it sound like they're going to make extra money off of this when they shouldn't be. So, I'm going to read straight from this, okay? Quote, the healthcare business, okay, first of all, the Healthcare Business Management Association, that's the group, describes RCM as the following, quote, the administration of financial transactions that result from the medical encounters between a patient and a provider, facility, and or supplier. Such transactions include, without limitation, billing, collections, payer contracting, provider enrollment, coding, data analytics, management, and compliance, end quote. It goes on to say, quote, RCM companies specialize in the collection of medical debt, a service for which cash-strapped hospitals pay to outsource. They are often paid a percent. Oh, let me go on. This you have to listen to carefully. Quote, these RCM companies, quote, are often paid a percentage of the debt they collect for a hospital, and thus are incentivized to aggressively pursue, pursue patients using a variety of tactics, sometimes running afoul of federal laws such as the Federal Debt Collection Practices Act or the Telephone Consumer Protection Act, end quote. You think? Okay. Now, RCM companies, they advertise themselves as being more efficient than, you know, doctors and hospitals collecting that themselves. Um, you know, hospitals are going to these RCM services and, you know, it's made that segment of the industry profitable and it's attracting investors. And, And because of that, quote, as a result, private equity firms have invested heavily in RCM companies and have possibly contributed to an increase in aggressive debt collection activity, end quote. Now, this next part goes into private equities inroads. So they have a foothold in the RCM sector, and they have had private equity firms have been in RCM companies for decades now, apparently. Um, they use what's called roll-up strategies to acquire smaller RCM companies, and that's considered a hallmark of private equity activity. Um, just reading straight from this, private equity firms have begun to consolidate the RCM market into a few large medical debt collection behemoths. Um, and it goes on and on and on. Uh, skipping down here, quote, the global RCM outsourcing market is expected to increase from $11.7 billion, with a B, 
to $23 billion, with a B, between 2017 and 2023, and that is according to this stakeholder group. Um, now, analysis of Consumer Financial Protection Bureau data has revealed that these RCM companies that are owned by private equity firms uh, have very high numbers of debt-related consumer complaints, uh, including attempts, quote, to collect a debt that is not owed, either because it's already been paid, was the wrong amount, or targeted the wrong individual. I'm going to read that again. I'm just going to read this exactly as it says in the document. Quote, analysis of Consumer Financial Protection Bureau data reveals that private equity-owned RCM companies face high volumes of debt-related consumer complaints, particularly related to attempts to collect a debt that is not owed, either because it has already been paid, was the wrong amount, or targeted the wrong individual, end quote. Mm. This is crazy. So you can't really get mad at the doctor. It's not the doctor doing it. You can get mad at the hospitals to hand this over to these private equity sharks. <clears throat> now, Transworld Systems, TSI's largest technology-enabled provider of accounts receivable management services in the United States, reading straight from this, and is known for its aggressive debt collection tactics, end quote. Apparently, there was a 2017 report by somebody called Frontier Group and U.S. Perg Education Fund about these RCM companies. And TSI was listed, uh, the Transworld Systems, Inc., was listed as a top RCM company for consumer complaints, and this was regarding debt collection. Um, but TSI's owners, Platinum Equity and Clear Lake Capital Group, they've escaped scrutiny. Don't know why, they just have. Um, and apparently TSI has other controversies, not just with medical debt. Apparently, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau has also seen that TSI has had problems. Um, they have controversy collecting illegal student loan debt collection lawsuits. Um, they've aggressively pursued student families for school lunch debt in Rhode Island. That is so effing tacky. So the same group, TSI, this, um, what is it called again? Transworld Systems who is owned by Platinum Equity and Clear Lake Capital Group. They've escaped controversy. Um, they, I'm sorry, not escaped. They've experienced controversy. They received, quote, a fine from the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau in the amount of $2.5 million for illegal student loan debt collection lawsuits. Uh, also, quote, for aggressively pursuing students' families' for school lunch debt in Rhode Island. Oh, my God. So apparently, you know, Rhode Island has a problem with babies getting school lunch. Good God. Um, it goes on to say, quote, a finding by New York Attorney General Letitia James that TSA violated multiple federal and state consumer protection laws by making false, misleading, and deceptive statements in National Collegiate Student Loan Trust, one of their clients, lawsuits and in communications with borrowers and for filing these lawsuits beyond the applicable statute of limitations, end quote. Okay. 
And it goes on to say, quote, since Platinum Equities acquisition of TSI in November of 2014, the company has also experienced a large volume of medical debt collection complaints, end quote. Okay, so you can read this yourself. It's a lot. I, if we go through all of this, we're not going to get through all of it. I'm going to tell you that right now. So let's skip down to the conclusion. You get the idea here. So it's we're, as Americans are dealing more with, you know, increasing medical debt, even after you, you know, you practically go bankrupt trying to get insurance, and then you get medical debt on top of it all. The fact is, not only the public, the government should really look more closely at the connection between private equity firms and aggressive debt collection practices uh, of these RCM companies. You know, and again, aggressive medical debt collection and medical debt itself needs to be addressed in this country. Okay, no one should have to go bankrupt to try and save their life or the life of a loved one. That's nonsense. Um, and let's face it, profit. There are profit-driven incentives to corrupt. And I'm going to read straight from this here. Quote: um, Aggressive medical debt collection and medical debt itself is a symptom of a larger problem in the United States healthcare system that allows profit-driven incentives to corrupt the primary goal of providing quality care to its citizens. While many other advanced economies have adopted universal health systems that effectively eliminate or minimize individual medical debt, end quote. Um, and it goes on to say, quote, the U.S. healthcare system as currently structured provides a fertile market for companies such as TSI, HCSF, and CMRE and their private equity owners to maximize returns for investors at the expense of healthcare consumers, end quote. So if you ever wonder why your medical debt is so bad, look to private equity firms. This is Wall Street, baby. Okay. Now, we do have one more story here. I'm going to check to see if we have time for it. Yeesh, we're running short on time here. Um, this is from the Private Equity Stakeholder Project as well. Um, this is a Private Equity Stakeholder Project. Um, this is the Private Equity Hospital Tracker. Okay. And, you know, this basically goes to the fact that private equity makes up a, a increasing portion of investment in U.S. healthcare companies. Here's the thing. Healthcare shouldn't be in the form of a company. That's the problem right there. Okay. Um, and, you know, they point, this group points out the fact that private equity investment in healthcare um, really brings substantial risk to patients, workers, and investors, okay? Um, and it goes on to explain that private equity-owned healthcare companies uh, often see the following issues, quote, reduced staffing or filling beds without adequate staffing ratios, over-reliance on unlicensed staff to reduce labor costs, failure to provide adequate training, pressure on providers to provide unnecessary and potentially costly services, and violation of regulations required for participants in Medicare and Medicaid, such as anti-kickback provisions, creating litigation risk, end quote. This is something we have to deal with. Um, there's, and that is from a group, the same group again. There's another group here called Just Care. It's the buzz for boomers and carers. And 
it talks about how medical de- the headline is medical debt is a profit center for banks and private equity, which is what we're getting to. Okay, now um, banks and private equity firms, according to this, have payment plans for all patients who can't afford to pay their medical bills. It's a multi-billion with a B dollar business. Isn't that amazing? So if you're wondering why your health you can't afford health care even with insurance, again, private equity comes in, that means big banks. And you're getting basically gouged. Okay? That's what's really happening here. Okay, so now hmm, I'm gonna take a little break here, getting ready for the end. Okay, and we're back. So we talked, the common theme throughout this week's show, once again, is lies, lies, and more damn lies, and how the mainstream corporate media has failed to cover this. Okay, Uh, more often than not, whether it is, um, you know, the, the national debt and the debt ceiling argument, or basically the lack of enforced regulation for guns or the cost of medical debt. We have here basically a corporate media that if they don't outright lie, they tell half-truths, it's a lie of omission, and people don't know what's going on. You know, this really is the end times of capitalism. Now, I'm not anti-capitalism, contrary to what some people may think. I'm fine with somebody building a company, making a good profit. I have no problem with that. Just play by the rules and play fair. What I have a problem with are these behemoth corporations that are choking the rest of us to death so that we have no rights, no nothing. That's the problem. So we've got all that, and, you know, we're going to talk about it more, you know, in other shows. I want you to realize that, for instance, our health care bills, when health care became an investment opportunity, <clears throat> I knew we were in trouble. Okay? There shouldn't be health care companies. There should be hospitals and doctors and nurses and therapists. Um, business terms shouldn't be used. Okay? Uh, I'm a speech-language pathologist. I'm not a provider. I hate that term. A doctor is a doctor, not a provider. You know, the business community loves using those very generic terms like provider because then they can slip in somebody that might not be fully credentialed and say, see, you got treatment. It's not the full truth. And the fact is, when healthcare became an investment opportunity, the public lost. And then it got more egregious because now, when it comes to medical debt, you've got private equity firms, which means big banks and Wall Street choking us to death this is wrong all the while the rich are not being taxed and the same with the debt ceiling all right this this possible looming fiscal crisis does not have to be 
They just need to follow the law. The Constitution says you have to pay what you've already said, that you've already incurred. That's it. Don't need the Republicans' permission. And Mitch McConnell was the one that started this nonsense. So you either have the president just use the 14th Amendment, Section 4, to pay the debt, regardless of what the uh, Republicans want, or the president instructs the Department of Treasury to mint a trillion or quadrillion dollar coin and pay from that and tell the Republicans, excuse my language, to go fuck themselves. All right? That's it. It's that simple. And as for the gun rights nonsense, again, all they have to do is include semi-automatic weapons of war along with the automatic weapons for the tax and the special license, and a lot of this nonsense will stop. And as for the NRA, newsflash. What the NRA is really saying, especially if you, and we will talk about Wayne LaPierre's speech at CPAC, they're really calling for a lynch mob that will attack anyone deemed not white enough, Christian, straight, if you're a female, obedient enough. That's it. When they're talking Second Amendment, what these bigots are saying is they want the right to have a legalized lynch mob and nothing else. And we don't have to put up with it. It's really that simple. But we need to find people that have the courage and the strength to stand up to these bullies and not worry about getting reelected. And teach the pu- and people to teach the public what their rights actually are. But the public needs to wake up as well. Good God. I mean, I like looking at Facebook and cute, you know, cute videos of puppies like, you know, the French Bulldogs, Gus and Martin. I love it. But that, I still read actual news. And the public needs to wake up and realize this is our responsibility collectively. And if we don't do anything to stop these white supremacists, these Christian nationalists, these neo-Nazis, then we are as much to blame as they are. It's that simple. And I have no use for people that say, I just don't do politics. Then you know what? Get the hell out of the way for people that want to actually have an actual democracy. You know, and, and I hate to say it, it's women of a certain age, usually older women, that are ones that usually say it when they say, I don't get into politics. I swear to God, I want to smack them. I just want to give backhand lash and make them stop already. Because that's just abdicating your responsibility. Okay? That's just, you know, white women just not caring what happens to anyone else. And it needs to stop. And we need to pay attention because most likely Donald Trump will be the Republican nominee again. And to say that Donald Trump is a danger to democracy, is a danger to humanity itself, it's obvious, but it needs to be said. And his followers are just as dangerous. And I don't want to hear this crap about, well, I met a nice Trump supporter. There is no such thing. A Trump supporter who generally seems like a nice person can turn a blind eye and a deaf ear to the overt racism, religious bigotry, anti-Semitism, transphobia, homophobia of Trump and his supporters, and they're not a nice person. They're a coward. And you know what? I had friends that were 
career military. And I never understood until now why they despised cowards so much. I thought, what harm can a coward do? They run away. So what? That's not it. Now I understand why. Because a coward will sell their own mother to the enemy to protect their own skin. So no, there are no nice Trump supporters. If you can ignore the neo-Nazism of Trump and the GOP of Trump, then no, you are not a good person. Not by any calculus at all. People have to face the fact that this is the ugliness, and we have to have those uncomfortable conversations with friends and relatives. And if they persist in saying they want to vote for Trump again, then yes, we have to ostracize them. We have to ostracize them, their families, and yes, their kids. Make it hurt, because they are waging war against us by backing a Nazi like Trump. Just this past weekend, at Trump's Doral Club, they held a Reawaken America convention with noted neo-Nazis there. These are not good people. And we'll be talking about that in the coming weeks. Now, we're going to head to my favorite, the Jackass of the Excuse me, Jackass of the Week Award. Give it a minute. Here we go. Welcome to PNN's Jackass of the Week Award. This week, our Jackass of the Week Award, I think she's won it once before, is Senator Marsha Blackburn. Now, Senator Marsha Blackburn, I don't know how this woman became a U.S. Senator, first of all, but she did. And as reported in HuffPost, she was, um, let's see now, on Fox News, this, was, this piece was published May 10th, and she was being interviewed on Fox News by Kaylee McEnany. Remember, Kaylee was Trump's press secretary before a couple others, whatever. And she was saying now that grandparents – could defend, could, the grandparents could join a force, quote, of armed military vets and retired police officers to protect schools from shootings. Okay, and to quote Senator Blackburn, and I'm going to try and imitate her idiot accent here. Okay, she wants to harden schools. Quote, to have this grant pool and to allow local school systems and local law enforcement to work together to bring in veterans and retired law enforcement to serve as a security officer at a school. They know how to use weapons. They know how to de-escalate situations. I've talked to a lot of them. They like this idea. They're grandparents like we are. My husband and I are grandparents, and they want to be there to help protect children. End quote. Okay. The stupidity of this statement is beyond the pale. So basically, rather than have enforcement of the National Firearms Act and amending the National Firearms Act to include semi-automatic weapons of war, um, Marsha Blackburn wants to have Granny, you know, Granny's packing to go after mass shooters. Keep in mind, at Olvedi, the officer's Law enforcement 
you know, they had Kevlar body armor. They had a tank there, and they didn't want to approach because they knew the kid had an AR-15 because high-velocity bullets can go through Kevlar. Okay? But apparently, Granny's going to do the job (laughs) that the Republicans won't. Okay? And then, you know, she wants to make the schools like a fortress, bulletproof doors, and all this nonsense. You know, other Republicans have also suggested that you only have one entrance and exit. Okay. So in the event of a fire, you have a fire hazard, and a lot of kids will just die. Again, this is nonsense. Marsha Blackburn just, uh, you know... (laughs) There's an old saying, you can't fix stupid. I, you know what? That's pretty much it. You can't fix stupid. I rest my case. And really, um, for that reason, Senator Marsha Blackburn is awarded our our Jackass of the Week Award. Bring on, Marsha. Bring on. You never sounded more intelligent. Okay. So, we have a few minutes left. We got through most of it today. You know, in terms of an ending editorial, kind of closing moments here. You know, just this past week, Chris Licht, who's the CNN, um, who's the CEO of CNN, okay, the lead boss, He let Donald Trump have, I think it was 70 minutes of free advertising. And the alleged, you know, journalist that was interviewing him, he just totally disregarded her. And and the audience was pure Trumpers, and they loved it. Uh, As far as I'm concerned, Chris Licht should be kicked out of the business. This was nothing but brain-dead propaganda, and it was propaganda worthy of Putin or the North Korean dictator, as far as I'm concerned. Okay? Okay. you know, again, then you have Anderson Cooper come on and say, oh, you're just stuck in your little silo and a condescending voice, you know, chastising the people that are complaining about the Trump town hall. It was outrageous. Okay, if they were going to have a town hall, then what they should have done is had really three town halls, one for all the Republican or possible Republican candidates, not just Donald Trump. One for all the possible Democratic candidates, not just Joe Biden, and one for independent candidates. That's what should have happened, but it didn't. So to call this a town hall is ludicrous. It wasn't. It was free ad time for neo-Nazi Donald Trump. You know, and, and you know, again, keep in mind that at the Doral Club this weekend, again, Trump and his boys had the Reawaken America tour there, complete with avowed neo-Nazis and white supremacists. And, you know, Eric Trump was uh, sending his daddy saying, you know, how dare you call us Nazis when, you know, my Jewish brother-in-law married my wife and I at our ceremony. Newsflash. It is possible to have Jewish relatives and still be anti-Semitic, just like it's possible for a white family to have multiracial children that are part black and still be racist. 
one has nothing to do with the other. And too many whites are too brain dead to understand that simple, inconvenient fact. Okay? Um, furthermore, I don't know how Jared Kushner could marry him and his wife because if it was a Christian ceremony, uh, the, a Jew's not going to be allowed to conduct that unless it was a secular ceremony. So maybe. But, you know, once again, Donald Trump has gone full tilt. His his followers, you know, they love their gun rights because they want to be able to pursue a lynch mob, criminal, and they want uh, legal immunity for it. That's it. There, there's no guesswork here. And for CNN to give Trump that free time is so ethically bankrupt it's beyond the pale. Now, Licht himself, I looked up his bio, and he does have experience as a journalist, but he spent more time in Hollywood, and maybe he should have just stayed there. You know, but once again, you have news controlled by Warner, who, you know, Warner Corporation, who wants more money. Again, we need news centers that are not being held to a profit motive. Okay. We need to return to the fairness doctrine, but a better fairness doctrine than what happened, the one that Reagan got rid of. So I'm rambling a little bit on this Mother's Day because at some point in time, you get tired of all this injustice. And, um, you know, this Mother's Day, while everybody's having their brunches and their gifts, I know how my mother who's been gone like 27 years now, would have responded to this. My mother would have been holding them morally accountable. She wouldn't have accepted brunch and forgotten about this level of Nazism. She just wouldn't have. And I challenge, you know, these women that say they are not interested in politics unless it's about their babies, to grow up, okay, and realize that politics affects everything in everyone's life and that we need to hold our politicians of all parties accountable. You know? And, you know, once again, the idea that CNN, again, I'm kind of fading a little bit here, the idea that CNN that they gave a neo-Nazi like Donald Trump and his rabid minions 70 minutes of free time is absolutely reprehensible. You know, um, I guess they think they're going to get Fox viewers. What's going to happen is CNN's going to lose their key demographic, which are college-educated women. They're going to tell CNN to shove it. I know I have. Of course, I haven't looked at CNN in a long time because, frankly, it's kind of stupid. And that goes to the whole 24-hour news cycle. You know, when you have a 24-hour news cycle, everybody's looking for sensationalism to, to basically get viewership from a limited number because there's too much out there. Maybe we shouldn't have a 24-hour news cycle. It it just doesn't work that way. But anyway. That's my opinion, for whatever it's worth. Uh, we're going to continue to shed light on this. We're going to continue to call out the liars in our midst. 
So on this Mother's Day, a holiday that was supposed to be originally an anti-war statement, I pray, in fact, do more than pray, I'm going to work so that the average person in the public will demand something better. Wake up, people. We are losing our democracy because a dictatorship of a vocal minority, Trump and his minions, are bullying everybody. We can't deal with another Trump administration. We just can't. Okay? I I know. I may just move to Belize. Anyway, so once again, on this Mother's Day, to all the moms out there, wake up. This isn't just about your babies, but everyone's. With that, I say good night, and God bless us. We're going to need it.